The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To worship God by hearing from His Word, we're continuing to look at what is worship, what is acceptable worship, what are we doing when we gather together, what's so special about this, what does God expect out of us. And today we are looking we begin to look, rather, at uh, this, the ordinances or the sacraments as they've been called. There's two of them. There's baptism and the Lord's Supper. And today we begin to look at baptism. And I want you to go back and I want you to think about the time of your baptism. Uh, imagine that you have an unbelieving friend. And your unbelieving friend goes, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And you tell your unbelieving friend, well, I'm getting baptized. It's like, well, what's that? Well, I'm getting dunked in this tub of water. And he goes, why would you do that? Well, to, and you'd probably say, to make my declaration that I'm following the Lord. Okay, well, you know, good for you. Um, but why get dunked in the tub of water to make a declaration that you're following the Lord? Now, what would you say to your unbelieving friend at that point? You might be saying, well, you know, it's commanded by the Lord, and I don't really need to figure it out before I do it. Of course, that's true. The Lord commands it. I should do it even though I don't fully understand it. But thankfully, God doesn't leave us wondering. He, he does explain to us from the scriptures why we get dunked in a tub of water uh, in order to, as we say, make this declaration of following Christ. Of course, it's much more than that, and that's not the focus. And so today we're going to talk about what baptism is and what it does. Now, just as a side note, I'm not going to address subjects and mode, meaning those who are to get baptized, whether or not infants get baptized, as our Reformed uh, brothers believe, and why we do immersion rather than sprinkling. I've covered that in uh, other sermons. If you want to review that, that should be on Sermon Audio, Orthodox Catechism Question 68 through 73, I believe that is. I want to focus today on what is baptism and what it does. And we're going to actually focus on that with the next two sermons today and next Lord's Day. So we begin with this question, what is baptism? And there's three things I want us to look at. First, it's a sign. Second, it's an interest, it's an entrance. And third, an appeal. Now we're going to look at appeal next time. Okay? But first, a sign. A baptism is an external sign that actually signifies spiritual realities. I mean, what sign doesn't signify, signify some sort of reality? If it does not actually signify something, then by definition, it's not a sign. Well, baptism is a sign. God doesn't just command us to get wet without meaning. It is a sign, and therefore it actually, actually signifies or signs something. Think of uh, the rainbow. And the sky. God has that as a sign that actually signifies a promise never to destroy the earth 
by floodwaters again. I think also of a wedding ring. If I have a, I have a ring here on my ring finger. Well, what? Why do I have that? Well, it's signifying a reality. It's signifying that I'm married. There's actual a reality be, behind the, the sign. If I wasn't married and I had this uh, ring on my ring finger, you would question, well, why do you have that? Like, well, I just want to wear it. Well, but that's confusing. It's, it's a sign that doesn't have the reality behind it. So a sign signifies something. That's what baptism is. It's an external visible sign designed by God to signify true spiritual realities. It is a visible word, a word to our eyes. It is God making a declaration or statement of what he has done for the baptized person. And so then what does baptism signify? And it signifies three things. So there's three points and then there's three points within this first point. I don't know why we reformed preachers always choose three points. But first thing that it signifies is a sign of washing sins away. God uses water because what does water do? It washes. It cleanses. And so water baptism signifies us having our sins washed away, us being washed clean. I want you to turn to Acts 22.16 to see how baptism signifies this. Acts 22.16. So here in Acts 22.16, Paul's recounting his testimony while on trial in Jerusalem. And here he's reporting what God said to him through Ananias. And it says this, And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now, this seems to indicate that baptism actually washes away sins. Because it says, be baptized and wash away your sins. Now, we need to understand this in light of the whole of Scripture. Sometimes this is referred to as the analogy of the faith. Uh, analogy of Scripture is Scripture interpreting Scripture. Analogy of the faith is the faith that comes from Scripture. And what does the faith that comes from Scripture teach? that we're saved by grace alone apart from any works of our own. So this can't be saying then that hurry up and get in the waters. Um, we're going to abduct you. We're going to dunk you in the water and do a baptism. Then you'll go from a state of condemnation to a state of forgiveness. That's not what's being said there. Nevertheless, nevertheless, we see that baptism here is a sign that's associated with washing away our sins. That gives us confidence that our sins are washed away. That God is testifying to our conscience the reality of what baptism signifies. And I think we focus a lot on, well, baptism doesn't bring you out of a state of condemnation and into a state of justification. And that's true. As somebody believes on Christ, somebody turns from their sin and trusts in Christ, that person's going to heaven. 
uh, even if they should die before getting baptized. And nevertheless, as we're going to talk about that some today, but especially next week, baptism is a bath for our conscience. And having a cleansed conscience is very powerful. And it actually brings about the benefits that Christ has secured. In 2 Peter 1, Peter says this is why some of you aren't growing. This is why some of you are stuck in sin. It's because of this. You have forgotten that you have been washed from your sin. And what does baptism then declare to us? It declares to us your sins are washed. Here's a visible sign from God in confirmation that your sins have been washed away. I'm going to use water, God says. Because in having that confirmed to you, it strengthens you then to live according to who you are. Really, Scripture says, if you want to live clean, if you want to live like clean and innocent children, you need to know your identity. You are clean and innocent. Even when you struggle with sin and fall into sin, your identity hasn't changed. Rather, your identity is what baptism conveys to you. And so powerful is this having a cleansed conscience, that Satan attacks that very thing. Satan is called what? The accuser of the brethren. He does not cease to accuse them day and night. And in fact, we see that in Zechariah chapter 3. Satan is standing there in the presence of the Lord, accusing at that time Joshua the high priest for all his sins. Look at how filthy he is. Look at how dirty he is. And he does the same to you. Look at how filthy you are. Look at what you just did. You really think that God's going to forgive you? You really think you're a Christian if you do that? Why does Satan use accusations? Does Satan actually care about God's law being followed? Does Satan actually care about what's right and wrong? No, he doesn't. So why does he use accusations? Because he knows that if he can convince you that actually you are guilty and not in God's grace, that that's exactly how you're going to live. You're going to live like a guilty sinner. But Scripture says, remember your identity. Colossians 3.12, for example, Therefore, as those chosen by God, holy and beloved, that's your identity. As, since that's your identity, put on them a heart of compassion, patience, and forbearance, and so forth and so on. You need to know your identity so that you need to be convinced of it, so that you live that out. That is why this sign is a powerful thing. It is conveying to you what God has done in washing away your sins, and therefore it's bringing about powerful effects that pertain to the salvation that Christ has secured for you. And so baptism signifies having your sins washed away. Second, baptism signifies union with Christ. Turn over to Romans 6, 3-5. And that's, by the way, just this is why 
the Bible speaks the way it does, to back up just a moment, uh, Acts 22.16, Rise and be baptized, washing away your sins. As if baptism washes away your sins. Because of the powerful effects that this sign from God has on the conscience. To have your conscience washed clean is the power of having your sins washed away. That's why Scripture speaks the way it does. Uh, and, and then Romans 6, 3-5 through 5 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death. Buried with Christ by baptism. Shows how powerful the sign is. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So here in Romans 6, Paul is addressing the question, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? If you are understanding the gospel properly, you should be asking that question. You should be following Paul's logic. And of course, Paul's answer, to which we should all give a hearty amen, is by no means. We should not continue living in sin. And in explaining this, Paul talks about baptism. That we're baptized into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And then Paul restates this in verse 5, interchangeably using the word baptized with united. So union with Christ is the is this invisible but very real unbreakable spiritual bond that we have with Christ, of which baptism is a symbol. But baptism, because of how powerful of a picture it is, it fans into flame the benefits we have by virtue of union with Christ. Our water baptism is an external sign then of this internal spiritual reality. When we go down into the water, it symbolizes that we've died with Christ, been buried with Him. And then when we come up out of the water, it signifies as being raised to new life. That now we have a new walk. It's a tangible picture that we experience with our senses of our sins being washed away by virtue of our union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. And why does God command this sign? Well, again, to the degree that we are convinced that we are united to Christ and God confirms this to us in giving us this sign of baptism to persuade and assure us to testify to our conscience so that we have this power and motivation to live in light of who we are. To the degree that we're convinced of that is the degree to which we will live it out. And this is why Paul, in addressing the question, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound, talks about our baptism, which is a sign of our union with Christ. These truths are exactly what we need to believe in order to not walk in sin. A baptism is 
the sign that powerfully signifies to us this to us, leading us to this powerful persuasion to walk in this new life that baptism signifies. This is why we are to remember our baptism. Have you fallen into sin? Have you struggled with sin? How do you feel when you fall into sin? Terms are, I feel dirty. I feel filthy. I feel corrupt. How does God address that? Here's a visible picture you take with you the rest of your life that even that sin has been washed away. That is your reality. That is God's visible promise to you that all your sins are forever and once and for all washed away by virtue of that one sacrifice that Christ has offered up. By that one sacrifice, you have been perfected for all time. And baptism is a sign. You are washed. You feel that filth of your sin, but here's a sign for me that is that you're to be identified with that is your reality. Your sins are washed away. You are clean. And then as we remember who we are in Christ and the forgiveness we have, that is how we deal with the filth of our sin. No, I'm not the one who washed my sins away. God is, as signified in baptism. Oh Lord, I turn back to You and I trust that You have forgiven me and washed away my sin. And that then gives us the motivation to forget what's behind us and to to press on to what's ahead. The third thing that baptism signifies is entering into a new life with God. Safely passing from judgment to life. And we see this really by tracing out this picture in Scripture of the Spirit hovering over the waters. Uh, We see this all the way at the beginning in Genesis 1-2. You can turn to Genesis if you'd like. But Genesis 1-2 says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There's a lot of mysterious things here. But what I just want to point out is that in Genesis, at the beginning, before it says that how God began to create everything, at the very beginning, we have the Spirit hovering over these waters, the unformed earth, before God begins to d- divide everything out. There's a Spirit hovering over waters. It's a marker of what happens at the beginning. You need the Holy Spirit to bring about new life, and God is bringing out new life. At the very beginning, there's a Spirit over the waters. And this then becomes a marker or a symbol of bringing about new life. And so we fast forward to Genesis 1.8. In Genesis 1.8, after God had flooded the whole earth, and while Noah and his family were still in the ark because the waters still covered the face of the earth, Genesis 1.8 says, And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. Now, us English readers were like, well, how does that tie to Genesis 1-2? Wind over the waters? Well, I see waters there, but I don't see the Spirit there. Ah, but you know what the Hebrew word is for, for both wind and Spirit? The same thing. It's ruach. So, think about from the from the point of view of a Hebrew reader. Genesis 1-2, 
the Ruach of God is over the spirit, or is over the, the waters. And then Genesis 1.8, God has a Ruach over the waters to then again separate out water from dry land and bring about this new life that Noah has safely passed through this cataclysmic judgment of floodwaters. And God has sent a Ruach over the waters to bring about this, this new life. This, he has arrived to this new world, which is really a picture of our redemption. Us being safely brought through cataclysmic judgment and into this new world because we are in something. We're in Christ. Just as Noah and his family were in the ark and kept safe from this cataclysmic judgment and brought to this new life. So that is the way it is with us. And that's why Peter can say in 1 Peter 3.21, our baptism corresponds to this event with Noah safely passing through these flood waters. And this is then a testimony that because we are in Christ and been united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection, having our sins washed away, that we have safely passed through God's judgment already by being in Christ. He took the judgment for us. And this is why John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And you say, but what about my sin? I have struggled with sin. I have sinned. What about that? Oh, hear the word of Christ. Truly, truly, if you hear my word and believe, you have been forever saved from my judgment. And so in our struggle with sin, we turn back and we believe these things. And that then leads us to walking in holiness. And God says, let me give you a visual aid to confirm this. Baptism. Your sins have washed, been washed away. You're united with my Son. You are forever saved from my judgment. And that then causes us to turn away from sin. Can you think of another incident where God's people safely pass through judgment waters? How about the Exodus? The Red Sea. You know that 1 Corinthians 10.2 calls that Israel's baptism? Think about it. These were judgment waters, weren't they? Why? Because the Egyptians were flooded. The Egyptians were drowned in these waters while God's people safely passed through these waters. Kept safe through judgment while their enemies were drowned. And they saw... Those Egyptians floating up onto the sea in these judgment waters. They saw their enemies defeated. They sang a song to God of God being their salvation. And that's the way it is for us. Our baptism is God saying your enemies have been defeated. Your sin has been defeated. It's like the Egyptians floating their dead in the sea. Your sin has been dealt with. You are free in Christ. Now walk in that freedom. Continue to put that sin to death. Because every sin we struggle with is a forgiven and conquered sin because of the realities of the gospel. 
So as God reminds us that reminds us of this in this picture, it leads us then to take up arms and continue to fight even when we fall and fail. Oh, don't give up. Your sins are forgiven. Continue to fight. Your status hasn't changed. You are clean. Walk in that cleanness. And this leads to another aspect of what baptism is. That is, it's an entrance into the priestly or temple service. So we saw that one of the things it signifies is an entrance, because it's entrance into a new life. That's why we get baptized at the beginning of when we believe. Well, it's also an entrance into the priestly or temple service. I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, I want you to look at Hebrews 9, 9 and 10. So in Hebrews 9, the author is describing the shortcomings of the Old Covenant, intentional, intentional shortcomings. He just ended chapter 8 by speaking of a new and better covenant, and that's uh, the basis for Christ's priesthood. He's a better priest. The whole section is on the priesthood and why Christ is a better priest, really from Hebrews 5 all the way through here. And uh, the, the writer spends the first seven verses recounting the tabernacle or temple where God's special representative presence was, how really only the priest could approach it. And he says in Hebrews 9, 9 through 10, according to this arrangement, Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So because the Old Covenant system was insufficient, a worshiper could not draw near to God. It did not deal with the conscience. That's important, right? but only external washings that they could, in this typological external system, bring a sacrifice. It's typological in that it's a type of Christ and how we would be able to approach God and draw near to God's presence through the sacrifice. But, these, but this only dealt with things externally to point forward to the time of Reformation when Christ would come, the better priest, the better sacrifice, better blood. However, in this verse, which is speaking with regards to this priesthood, being able to approach God, it refers to various washings for the body. Now, I typically don't give the Greek word. In fact, I think people that do that are, and I think it's obnoxious because Nobody really knows what's being said. But I, I think, and I've done this before, and I think you're going to get this Greek word. And the Greek word for washings there, see it says washings for the body? It's the Greek word baptismois. You probably recognize it. It's the Greek word for baptism. The same exact Greek word used to speak of our baptism as believers. But this baptism is referring to Old Testament baptisms. There were baptisms in the Old Testament. When John the Baptist 
is out in the wilderness doing baptisms, what was the questions? What, what, were, what was the question that the Jewish leaders asked him? They didn't ask him, what's this baptism thing you're doing? We've never heard of it. No, they didn't ask anything about that because baptisms were already around. Rather, they asked the question, wait a minute, why are you doing it? Who are you to do baptism? Are you the Christ? And that's because baptism in the Old Testament, besides other various cleansings, the primary one was what the priest and only the Levitical priest went through. This washing for the whole body, this baptism for the whole body, in the context of Hebrews 9, talking about the priesthood. What we see in the Old Testament is that the priests had to be washed. Their whole bodies had to be washed before they entered into their temple service. See this in Exodus 29, where God said to Moses, Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. In verse 4, among other things, it says, You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. And then we see this executed in Leviticus 8. I know I'm jumping quickly, but Leviticus 8, verse 3 says, The whole congregation was to assemble and witness this. This is something really important. And then in verse 6, the priests are washed with water. So this consecrated ceremony, preparing to enter into the priesthood to offer up spirit, to offer up sacrifices to God, to come into His presence, you had to go through this baptism. This is the baptismois that the book of Hebrews is referring to. But we see this continue in the New Testament. It doesn't fall away. Rather, now, what's the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament with regards to this? Well, it's not just the, Levit- the Levites being baptized. It's now all of God's people being baptized, starting with John the Baptist. And why is that? Because we are a priesthood of believers. All of us can draw near now to the presence of God, which began with who? Began with Christ, the Lamb of God, coming. The temp- he is the temple, He said. I'm the presence of God. And then we now can draw near to God. We turn over to Hebrews 10. We see this in verse 19, which says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And if you stop and think for a moment about what we've gone through in Exodus and Leviticus, entering the holy place, that's a big deal. Who enters the holy place? Only the high priest and only once a year. And if you don't do everything just right, you're going to drop dead. That is how serious it is to come to the presence of God. And now we are able to come to the presence of God. We are able to draw near. We are able to worship Him. We are able to come to the Lord's table. And that is why everyone who believes gets 
baptized. We have been made a priesthood of believers. 1 Peter 2.9 and Revelation 1.6 explicitly says, by the blood of Christ. We can therefore with confidence come into the temple, which is what? should know the answer by now. I've said this many times to the point that you're probably tired of hearing it. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says we're the temple. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says we're the temple. The people of God gathered together. It's the temple of God where God meets with His people and therefore we can draw nearer to God with our hearts to worship Him, to come to the table. And this is why we get baptized the same ritual that the Old Testament priests went under before they entered the temple service. And this is what every believer does right from the beginning in order to visibly, not internally, but visibly enter, enter in to the priesthood. It's a visible entrance into our priesthood and service to God. It's also a vivid and tangible sign that we have forever been washed by the blood of Christ, and therefore always able to draw near to Him, even to find grace and mercy when we have fallen into sin. So may we remember and be encouraged by our baptism. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we ask that You would help us to remember these things. Satan wants us to forget them. Satan wants us to think that we're actually dirty sinners, and by nature we are, and in practice we are at times, but not in position, because Christ has forever taken care of our sin, redeemed us, and so we are clean, and we thank you for this sign that you've given us. We ask you to help us to, to remember these things, so that we can walk in the holiness that you've called us to walk in. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.